welcome to the Pelican Project podcast. Say that three times fast. (laughs) We want to invite you to pull up a chair, grab your favorite beverage, and come have a conversation with us. Um, I am Crystal Comiskey. And I'm Kelly Tolman. And we welcome you. Uh, Last week, we talked a little bit about um, what we felt was like a, a, a box checking faith. You know, we were just kind of times in our lives where we're just kind of going through the motions, checking the boxes, following the rules that we perceive that we need to follow. um, And what that that that's sort of we felt something lacking in that. And then we're going to be talking about, you know, kind of faith confronted, confronting ourselves, realizing that that is uh, that box checking faith is not what we're looking for, that our faith is about a relationship with God. And when we are confronted with that, are we ready to say, let's go all in on that relationship? So Kelly has been recounting for us. We were lucky enough to have her put pen to paper and write out her story for us called Wandering Heart. And you can check that out on our website and I'll link it for you here. Um, But she's just kind of telling her story and her journey of faith and, you know, from the box checking to the faith confronted. And she is about to tell us when that happens, that moment, that Saul moment of being just knocked from her horse. So Kelly, I'll leave that to you. Thank you so much, Crystal. <laughs> um, yeah, last time we we let off and I shared with you guys that I was hit off my horse, um, my Saul moment, and I for sure was. And it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really that glamorous um, because my horse was a big pile of excuses. I think that's, that's what I had to realize. Um, you know, I talked about before that I had been spending a lot of time wandering in the desert, um, really being conflicted as to, you know, is the Lord, is he disappointed in me? What does it mean for God to be my father? Um, I had my foot, one foot in the door, of like the Catholic world and the Bible study I started going to and my decision to baptize the kids. But I had my other foot very um, grounded in a culture that was, I believed, still valuing me or my value was was being measured according to um, my utility, like we talked about last time. And um, so for all those reasons, I, I was making excuses to not be all in. Um, and then, like I said, I, I was introduced to an opportunity to go to Poland. And I, I thought, you know, I have no idea why people take pilgrimages to Poland. I have no idea what's going to be there and what I'm going to find. But um, my husband very generously and grac- graciously um, urged me to go and was excited for me because I was excited about it. And he knew that I had been kind of struggling for a while. Um, and he, of course, he's not, he was not Catholic at the time. Um, so we saved the money, we pinched pennies and, um, I signed up to go and I got on a plane and I met a group over there in, uh, in Warsaw. And there were two particular experiences. The the whole entire trip was extraordinary. So if you ever have the opportunity to go, um, I highly urge it, but, um, I had two specific things or experiences that happened that really came into play with, um, my being head off the, my Saul moment, if you will. (laughs) So, um, 
a few days into the trip, we traveled to a city, um, a monastery called Chasnagora um, in Chestahova. And when we were there, we we saw Our Lady of Chestahova, um, and she's often referred to as the Black Madonna um, because it's a it's an image of her holding um, Jesus, and the image is very dark. Um, and so it's lovingly called uh, the Black Madonna. And I remember when you walk in to this monastery, there's there's mass going on, and there's you know different things happening. And I had never been in a situation where you walk into this enormous like old, you know, all of this rich history, and this it's just so enormous, and you have all these different masses going on, and there's people, and there's tourists, and I couldn't wrap my head around all the things that were happening in this space. And then we were led over to this beautiful image of Our Lady. And I didn't, I did not know what our who Our Lady of Chesterhova was. Um, I mean, obviously I knew it was Blessed Mother, but I didn't know the history of this painting. And everybody was on their knees. I mean, there's no kneelers, it's like marble floors. I don't know if it's marble floors. It felt like marble because my knees were hurting, but I remember once I allowed myself to just be present in the moment and look up and see what everyone had fallen to their knees over our lady holding Jesus. Um, it was, it was, it was almost like I had blinders on. The only thing I could see was this image and it was overwhelming to look at. It was beautiful to look at. And, and, you know, Christ is staring back at me in his mother's arms. And what's very interesting about this painting, um, Actually, I could pause for a minute and explain but the legend of the painting. Um, it is believed, um, I don't know if they, they have not been able to like, quote unquote prove it, but it is believed that Our Lady of Chestahova is a painting painted by St. Luke, actually on the, the dining table, the table of that was in the home of the Holy Family. So such like just so much there coming together and the idea that, you know, me as a mom and me struggling in so many different ways. And this is, this is their table and it's um, St. Luke. And he's always been one of my favorite gospel writer. And um, then I see this image and what's striking about Mary is she has two scars on her face. And, you know, of course, Our Lady is never portrayed with two scars on her face. So I was very interested in what that was and why that was there. Um, so just praying, um, you know, on our knees, worshiping our Lord and um, praying with Mary. And after leaving, we were able to talk about the image and the, the story of why she has these scars on her face is, um, you know, and I'll let, I'll let everybody kind of take some time. And I totally suggest that you do and Google Our Lady of Chestahova. We'll put it in the show notes at a good link for you to kind of learn more about her story. But um, her this image had been looted many times during a lot of warring that was happening in Europe. And there's, you know, miracles attributed to the presence of this image in spaces and it just being preserved and everything. But one of the looters took a sword and had struck the image a few times and left these grooves in her face, these scars. And over the centuries, um, they have tried to restore the image and they have tried to eliminate the scars. And I mean, you know, we send people to the moon, like we have, like we can, 
we can eliminate, an artist can eliminate and restore a painting and get rid of a gouge. Like there's nothing to that. That's like not, not an issue. But the miracle here, I call it a miracle, is that these, these um, scars, they keep coming back. Artists, they cannot restore the image. Now, I don't know. There might be some, some fancy artistic reason for that. Maybe there is. And God works through the natural. He does. Um, he, he's the creator of all of it. But for whatever reason, these scars won't go away. And I held on to that. And I didn't realize how much I held on to that until I was flying home and I was really just reflecting on our lady and and the scars Um, and just recognizing that she is, you know, she's, she's the queen of heaven. She is, she's our queen. She's our mother. And she is the first and, and most incredible of all the disciples. And she sits at, you know, with our Lord and, and, and intercedes for us and takes us by the hand and brings us to Christ. And yet she has scars. She, she experienced, um, deep suffering and that's a part of her story and it shouldn't go away because it allows us to understand our own suffering in the context of the gospel. Um, and for me, that was super powerful. I, I really clung to, um, 2 Corinthians twelve nine. my grace is sufficient for you for power is made perfect in weakness. Um, the truth that I, God wasn't waiting for me to not be broken. God wasn't waiting for me to not have, to have it all together. Um, all of my excuses were just that excuses. Like he was okay with me and my brokenness. And I knew that, and I was the one holding back. I realized that when I was walking in the desert, I wasn't walking to him. I was walking away from him. Um, And it it was just the very literal scars on our lady's face that just, it just, you know, it, it was the right time for me to see that God's timing is perfect. And it was really necessary for me where I really felt like I was struggling in my motherhood because I was struggling so much in my spiritual life. Um, and so for, for that reason, it, it was a, an overwhelming moment. And, and then I experienced a few days later, um, we were driving away where we had it, about like 60 miles, I think from, uh, Jasna Gora is Auschwitz. And when we went into Auschwitz, I, I was looking forward to that opportunity. Um, you know, uh, it's like, you don't want to go, but you realize like, the power in going and and visiting a space where there had been so much suffering and, um, forcing yourself to face that, I think. And, um, you know, that very military concept of like, you were not forgotten type type of thing. And so for me, there was a very, um, there was just a, I was looking forward to just being in that space and praying and, and just taking it all in, um, as dark and as, um, terrible as seeing all that actually was, you know, it was this weird juxtaposition of like looking forward to experiencing something terrible. It was weird. Um, and then when we were in that space, we were walking through it and, um, we, we saw incredibly difficult things. And if you have been to Auschwitz, um, you know, you can attest like when you first walk in, 
there is a space in an indoor space that first introduces you to the camp as a, um, as somebody who is there to, um, observe what had happened there and behind glass, they have on display the things that, um, the people, the, the victims of Auschwitz left behind. So, um, one of the cases that was really like, <laughs> um, hit me hard as a mom when I first looked was, it was a mound of hair and everyone's hair had been shaved off. But what was incredibly powerful was you saw these little braids that were just cut off and an elastic was still holding the braid in place. And I just, I could picture, um, a mom or an older sister, you know, for me, my heart was really aching for, for that mother who is braiding her kid's hair, her, her daughter's hair. And she knows something terrible is going to happen. Maybe she doesn't. I mean, a lot of these families were lied to when they were sent to Auschwitz thinking they were being brought someplace else. But as time went on, they, they, they knew where they were going. And, um, the conditions in these trains were so terrible. And I just think of this mother, these mothers who were trying to comfort their children, even though things were terrible and rubbing, you know, rubbing their heads and, um, tenderly caring for them. And, and this was the last moments. These are the last moments that this mother and child had together. And you, you see this braid and it was overwhelming and it seems like something small, but my heart was cut immediately from, from the perspective of, of like a mom, um, as I continued to walk through Auschwitz and, you know, we went, we saw that the different areas we, you actually walk and can stand in one of the, um, the areas where they were like the gas chambers. Um, and as we were standing there, I, you can actually see, um, scrapes at the ceiling, um, on the walls, like very high up towards the ceiling, you see all these scrapes and somebody in our group asked a guide, like, what are those up there? And he said, as the gas would start to come into the, um, the chamber natural, just people were naturally trying to rise above this gas and gasp for, you know, clean air. And as bodies started to collapse, they would crawl upon one another, the dead bodies and, and create basically a mound of people. And the people at the top were literally clawing, trying to get out. I mean, it was just, it was so overwhelming. Um, and so all of these things were so powerful and, um, blew me away. I still remember, you know, all of it, but I think what was most impactful and life-changing for me was when we went into, um, cell 21, we looked into cell 21 and there was scratched into the wall, um, a picture, um, an image of Christ on the cross. And when I saw that, that was the pinnacle of my, I have now been kicked off my horse and I'm, I'm now rolling around on the ground, completely blind. Like after all the things that I saw that were so powerful and, um, gut wrenching and overwhelming, and I'm, I'm still sort of, you know, processing all these human experiences that, um, these individuals went through and just seeing 
Christ etched into the wall of a or the, of a cell. It was um, Lieutenant Stefan Jasinski's cell. Like the implications of that were overwhelming because what you what the way that image got there was he in his final hours, final days, what however long he was in there, used his fingernail and etched it into the wood because he was so desperate to let his eyes rest upon his Lord. Like, what? And here I am. The Lord has already stepped in on me. He has already, you know, made such provisions for me. He's been so patient with me. I've been such a brat. I mean, honestly, like there is an allowance, I think, for searching and then certainly an allowance for, for the journey. But I had this moment where I realized like, I've just been making excuses because I did not want to commit myself to Christ being the anchor of my entire life. Because what that then meant was that everything, everything had to change about my priorities and and how I, I stepped into um, every piece of my life, my marriage, my friendships, my, my parenthood. And I just, you know, I thought about, I'm actually going to read a piece of, um, of what I wrote here in Wandering Heart. I wrote what Lieutenant Jasinski, what did Lieutenant Jasinski know that I didn't? He didn't etch rules and Sunday commitment into his wall. He etched his savior. He wasn't held by block 21. He was held by Christ's outstretched arms and covered in his peace by the blood and water that poured from his side. To Lieutenant Jasinski, Christ wasn't a commitment. He was a relationship. Jesus Christ wasn't separate from the reality of his suffering. He lay in the cell beside him. Um, and then I, I go on to say a little bit later. The reality was up until this point, my walk was away from Christ. Resenting my journey through the desert and acutely aware of my unworthiness, I had disinvited him from my life. And each morning I would collect my daily manna with a sense of entitlement. In my daily Christian box checking, I treated Christ as inconsequential, disposable even. And yet there he stood before me, wiping my tears with his precious pierced hands. Um, yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable moment to see. And, and, and that's what it was. It was, I was able to see years later, somebody who was laying on, on the ground of his cell moments before his death. And the only thing he wanted was Christ. That is living with Christ as your anchor. And I thought, I want that. Like whatever that is, I want that. And Christ is, he has been trying to give it to me. And I haven't, I've just been, you know, taking my daily manna, like the Israelites saying, well, this is fine. You know, I'm going to take what I can. Thanks for feeding me. I had no idea what he had in store for me or what he desired for me. But in that moment, I realized that Lieutenant Jasinski knew something I didn't, and I had to figure it out. Right. That's powerful. That image still, I mean, I've heard, I've heard you recount this story. I couldn't even tell you. I've read it. I've heard you say it, but each time it, it still has that effect of just 
wow. Now, I don't have that moment, that wow kind of moment, you know, singular sort of thing, that trip, if you will. And I don't think, unfortunately, a lot of people get that opportunity. Lucky girl that you are. Um, (laughs) What I think... So first of all, I think that our faith is confronted. It's it's not something that happens just once. You know, I think you kind of agree. Like you'll find yourself like uh, like little checks every now and then. Um, but the one that I really remember um, as being, you know, as close to that kind of moment um, as possible for me was our work um, when I first started at the Pregnancy Resource Center with you. And just that there was a really just very dedicated core group of volunteers that worked there. And I just remember being really awed by them and just so inspired and watching them dance. So we're talking about just, just, you know, wives, moms, you know, giving their time. And I, I mean, the reason I was there while I was excited to do the work, to be honest, I was there because I'd been hired to do a job. Okay. But I realized after being there and watching them work and watching them give, this was so much more like they were dedicated because they knew that this was a real, their faith was a relationship with God. And this is what he was calling them to do love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. And that is what I was witnessing was them putting their faith into action is what I was witnessing. And I was really struck by it because there I was, you know, doing, you know, I'd been in the church um, for a couple of years at that point. And I was doing, like you said, I was kind of going through doing all the things that I thought that I was supposed to be doing. And, you know, thinking that maybe that was enough, but still feeling what, but seeing them do it, I realized how incomplete what I was doing was like, I wasn't all in, in that moment. I was like, you say, taking what he had to give me each day, but I wasn't necessarily giving anything back. It was a very one-sided relationship at that point. And watching them day in and day out, just give their time and not in a way. What was striking to me is it they're they're working with these young women and families and children was not about you know showing them better like showing these families better like i i'm up here and i'm helping you out you know or we're like giving of my charity to you it was really about living a relationship with those women and those families and those children and just doing whatever they could to help make them whole again you know and whatever that looked like for them. And I think that that's something that we're all called to. I think that we're all called to it in different ways. It may not necessarily look like a pregnancy resource center or volunteer, but we're all called to give of our time, treasure, talents in those ways. And that was something that that was a realization for me. That was faith confronted. That was, okay, Crystal, you are not doing your part here. And it's time to, it's time to throw in. You know, um, so I'm so thankful to, for that, for that time there and those women and for that, for that experience of getting to just watch them in their day to day, because it really, it was, it was not, I mean, they weren't doing any one grand thing, grand gesture. 
it was just these little things that they did and decided to do and made the decision, the choice to do in their day to day to, to help one another. And I just was so inspired by that. Um, and really started, that was the moment within which I started to like, okay, well, what does this look like in my own family? What does this look like in my relationships with my friends? You know, so, and then in my relationships with the women that I was working with, um, there at the resource center. So it was just really a striking, striking moment for me in that time. Yeah. I, and I love, I think that's, that's the, the reason we thought this podcast is so helpful is because Crystal and I generally do have different experiences. And in this particular experience, I probably have a more unique experience of having this like very grand moment, like, like she said, but Crystal, you had an experience that so many people can relate to where they are watching somebody live their faith like really profoundly, but in a quiet way, and it changes everything. And They're, yeah, they and were so think, unassuming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that's what that's that's the heart of what I I think I took away from it once I finally got home, um, you know, and, and I'm, we'll share that next time of what, what happened when I got home, um, which was also pretty cool. But um, as I was flying home and I'm thinking through Lieutenant Jasinski, I'm thinking about the etching in the wall in Auschwitz. I'm thinking through Mary's scars and I am recognizing um, you know, in, in Exodus, when we're talking about the Israelites, Exodus fifteen twenty six, God says, I am the Lord, your healer. He was Mary's healer. He held Mary. It, our scars aren't evidence that we are not in relationship with the Lord or that he had abandoned us. Our scars are evidence that and spaces where he comes into our life even more deeply. And like you said, makes us whole in all of those small ways, using, using the people in our lives um, and just making us whole and restoring us. And, and, you know, oh, so it was so overwhelming when I came home and, and what I had to realize um, really quickly is that, you know, when <laughs> We were joking about this, you know. Obviously, we are Catholic. We have a lot of of friends and who are our Protestant brothers and sisters, and um, you know, they they certainly say, you know, like, do you accept, you know, our Lord as Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And of course, you know, Catholics, of course, we do. Um, but I don't know how often I stop and think about what taking Christ into my life. And allowing that relationship to be Lord and Savior. Because I think a lot of us take him only as Savior. We want what he has to give us. We want the hope of heaven. We want um, we want to say we're saved. And we, oh, we've checked that box. I'm saved. The reality is, is that you have to accept him as your Lord as well. And what does that mean? 
And that's the question I had to ask. What is that? What does it mean when you're accepting him as not only your savior, but your Lord? And that means that we are accountable to him. Our faith demands something of us. It is, it cannot be like faith is an action. Love is an action. These are words that when defined are actions, which means that our faith needs to do something. And when it doesn't, we don't have it or we don't have it the way we're supposed to have it. And so I knew that I had to start doing more and I couldn't make excuses anymore. Um, and so just kind of moving through what that looks like for me, you know, you're, you know, Crystal and I, we talk about this all the time. Like, what does that look like? in our marriage? What does that look like in our work at the Pelican Project? And what does that look like as a, as a mother? And ultimately what I had to realize is, and what we have to, I think, you know, anyone listening, if you're a parent, like you being a parent is a gift and you're, you still have to be a disciple in that vocation. And, um, you know, what is, what does that mean? And what that has to mean is that you are sharing the gospel. You are sharing your faith with your children in the four walls of your home and sharing it with your husband in a way that anchors the entire home to Christ. And I just think like, you know, as a parent, I think about Lieutenant Jasinski's mom and dad, whatever they did, like, let me do that. <laughs> yeah. Two thumbs up because. That you did good. And we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. The only thing we can give to our children is to allow Christ to be their anchor. And if we don't do it, if they don't see it, they don't see it from us, then it's not going to happen. I mean, we can say it, they need to see it. And that is, you know, to your point, what your experience, you saw people doing the work. It wasn't about what they said. It's about what they did. Right. And, you know, I've had, I had wonderful examples. I mean, my husband, you know, was, has been a consistent presence, you know, of faith um, every single day. But I think there was something special about seeing another woman, another wife, another mother doing it and, and to see what that looked like for them. That was just really inspiring to me. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. So, yeah, I mean, that's it. Just, um, they, so today I just, I invite all of, all of you guys listening to pray, you know, look up, look in the show notes, go take a look at Our Lady of Chesterhova. If you're not familiar with the image, look at her scars. Maybe we'll also connect the show notes to see Lieutenant Jasinski, um, his carvings into the wall and ask yourself tonight, you know, really pray with that. Is Christ my anchor? Is he my anchor? And then um, next week, we're going to talk about um, faith in action. Faith in action. Putting it in action. Right. (laughs) Hope in the darkness and faith in action. Yeah. This is is the part in the story where you and I, our stories collide. Yep. At uh, doing the work of a pregnancy resource center. So I look forward to talking about that because that was fun. All right. Well, till next time, we are praying for you, friends, and uh, please keep us in your prayers, too. Thank you.